Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Well, this time last week, we were roughly two hours away from three being the magic number for Arsenal as the Gunners romped, yes, romped to a second half victory over West Ham at the London Stadium. I'm starting on a positive here, chaps, okay? Because fast forward, (laughs) bear with me, seven days and three is, well, three is slightly less than it should have been for Manchester City yesterday afternoon as they ran riot at the Emirates to quite convincingly put the mockers on any kind of temporary renaissance under Freddie Jimberg as Arsenal's interim boss. Of course, which he may no longer be once the week is out. Negotiations ongoing, we are led to believe, between the club and former star Mikel Arteta. Chaps will be talking about that and plenty more on this, the Arsenal fan show here on Lost Sport. With me, for one night only, I am returning Matt Beadle and the guys from Gunnerstown, Dave Seagar and Chris Howard. Hello. How are we, guys? Good evening. Well, I was, you just reminded me, so the, the show that we did on Monday night, which happens just before the West Ham game, so we don't even get to be positive over that because we're too busy thinking about the Man City debacle that was yesterday. Although Isn't we that should depressing? say that I did get the right score prediction at you 7.55 did. last Monday. 3-1 to the Arsenal. And you were Thank rather you excited much. about that. <laughs> it's the only good thing we've had all year. Slightly <laughs> concerned going into the second half about that score prediction. <laughs> well, yes, I think we have safe to say we were in a little watering hole around the corner from here. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no. It's just, isn't that just classic? Oh, we finally get a victory to celebrate. And by the time that the next show comes around, we can't even celebrate it anymore. Um, do we have to talk about yesterday? Well, we're going to have to, chaps, because we can talk yes, about the second it, half in the Europa League as well. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> we forgot about that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, a fifth, gents, a fifth successive Prem defeat at the hands of City. By the way, we're going to start with the stat because I'm back. We've got to. That's the longest streak since when? that you lost five consecutive games to the same club or to, to a, City to a top flight opponent to, a, to the same club last year <laughs> it's a long time is it the mid 83 to 85 Manchester United were the team would you believe it's the Manchester mm. clubs causing you a problem well this is our I, I did hear another stat today this is our longest pre- Premier League run without a win or the, at, since, home. Si- si- at home at home since 1995 the end of the George Graham era mm. So a what, while ago. those stats, we're absolutely smashing all of the records at the moment for the wrong reasons. Records you don't we? want to have, yeah. Yeah. not being broken. Six games without a win at the Emirates. What are we saying, chaps? I mean, Freddie Jumberg's fifth game, it would appear. Now, I don't know about you, but as an onlooker, it seems like he doesn't radiate any kind of authority on that touchline. I'm not saying that he should do, that's his particular job. But if you're coming in as a manager... I feel like you've got to exert yourself a bit more and it just seems a little bit lifeless on the touchline. I think um, it's the players that don't radiate any kind of confidence, creativity, um, defensive noose. Um, noose? Yeah, or nous, whichever way you say it. <laughs> well, I'd certainly noose, noose, noose I'd about cer- this noose. I'd, I'd, certainly, uh, I'd certainly put the noose around some of them because <laughs> let's be honest with you, some of that defending is absolutely atrocious. Mm. So what, what I've actually seen as a positive from Freddie is he, he's coming out and saying... You know, he was talking about the transitions yesterday and he talked about the, the problem in transition against Norwich, which at least we're getting a little bit of communication. The fact he doesn't seem to be able to do anything about it is a, is a slight worry. And then I think the fact that the players don't seem to be responding to that is an even bigger worry. It's also, he's obviously come out this week and earlier before the game and Sibs saying that he hasn't had any backing from the club by way of coaching. He's saying it's very difficult. He's turning around for, you know, 
who can support me here? I've got Per and I've got no one else. And Per's not even supposed to be doing this job. It's it's a part time job. I haven't got anyone to support me. I was I was in the pub yesterday before the game with um, um, a friend of mine's son, uh, who is um, his godfather is Sal Bibbo. Now Sal Bibbo joined Arsenal as a goalkeeping coach, mm. and then. Emery brought his own staff in, so no one really knows what Sal Bibbo's been doing for the last three years. He's still on the first team coaching staff. Nobody knows his role. His godson doesn't know his role. And on Thursday, the person who Freddie's turning to all the way through the game to talk to is not Per Mertzger, it's Sal Bibbo, who was brought in as goalkeeping coach and hasn't been doing that job. You know, that's the state we're in. You know, it's <laughs> it's yeah. an utter... I, I'll, bet, I'll bet 99% of Arsenal fans don't even know Sal Bibbo is. Yeah, and how? You know, because uh, you like goalkeepers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, but what's incredible is that we are at that stage... I mean, just in football in general, that no one really knows what he does. And he's Arsenal. A, a, a global brand yeah. of a football club. This isn't sort of Joe Bloggs FC no. that gets 300 people turn up to it. This is a multinational brand, uh, a huge, you know, conglomerate for the amount of money that we actually have invested into the club or uh, not invested into the club, I guess, at times. Or by China, not invested into the club. Yeah, not in, <laughs> certainly not by the Chinese anymore, by the looks of it. But it is bizarre that football clubs actually can behave like this like we're all talking about these days we seem to talk about football clubs as businesses but i'm really surprised as to how many how few top flight clubs behave like businesses in some instances like this it's like in in some ways they are but then in so many ways they're just it's it's like disjointed no one's talking to anyone else it's bonkers but you know yes we can look at freddie i think he's been thrown a in a ridiculous curve ball, quite frankly, by the looks of it. Um, I accept your point that he's not hes not animated on the touchline, but some of the best managers aren't. He certainly mm-hmm. is talking to players individually. He's calling them over when there's when there's breaks. He's, he's calling Aubameyang over. He's calling Bellerin over. And certain senior players, he has been talking to them, trying to get a message across. Never saw that from Wenger. Never saw that from Emery. So he's doing more in that sense. But I just think he's been put in an impossible situation because, as Chris alluded to, there's something wrong in the playing staff and I you know, the very least you want as a fan is you think well everyone can leave that pitch knackered because they put in everything I can probably think of two or three players who left the pitch yesterday with any credit at all who, who could be even vaguely proud of anything they did in that 90 minutes and that's a shocking state of affairs mm-hmm. and are they those same players that all season have been the ones that we've come off saying actually yeah they're the ones that have performed so uh, Burnt Leno by any chance and yeah. you know Callum Chambers has done alright at times and um, Martinelli um, every time he's come on and the application that appears or the lack of application appears to be happening about some of those players is quite dreadful I mean talking about specifics with the games that second goal that we conceded you know when the ball um, is in Man City's half and then they just they're just knocking triangles around us and I don't want to pick on individuals but again you've got to look at somebody like Gendouzi and Torreira, just, we, we don't have a midfield at the moment. No. And we also, just have a massive space where midfielders should be. The other thing is, and I'm not condoning it, I'm not encouraging it, but top flight teams, if somebody's through and you're behind them, you commit a professional foul. It just happens. You've only got to look at Mourinho's Tottenham against, against Torreira. 24 Absolutely. fouls you know, on that player by other teams this season. Three players booked for fouling a player who was in rampantly good form. You know, there's no one at Arsenal even trying to put in a, a relatively poor challenge on someone who's, who's running past them. I mean, mm. not a challenge. You know, we've put in less tackles than any other team in the Premier League, I think, this season. We, we had one shot on target and six attempts in a home game. It's just unbelievable. However good Man City are, that is just 
a shocker. So, I mean, this runs deep. Like you're saying there, Dave, this runs as deep as I can remember a, a top, top football club ever being in terms of, and I don't want to use the word toxic in the dressing room because I think sometimes that gets banded about and it's slightly unfair. But normally you see a manager bounce, regardless of who it is. Look at Everton now under, under Duncan Ferguson, Manchester United last season under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You see it. Watford a little bit under Nigel Pearson played well at Liverpool at least. They played for the shirt. Why is it not happening? We, we, we're led to believe that the, the players are in favour of Freddie Jungberg. You know, he's a popular figure amongst the club. Why has there it been just looks, no reaction? It just looks like, it's like a balloon, isn't it? The confidence just bursts. Yeah, they've started. They started well against Norwich. You know, they have started, started well against Brighton. They are starting. You think, oh, actually, this, this is looking good. We're moving the ball. This is the old Arsenal. Mm. And one thing goes wrong and everything implodes. It just collapses. It just collapses. And, and the other thing is we, we are playing regardless of which coach we're playing as a collection of individuals we're not playing as a team and that's the biggest thing that yeah. the new manager has to bring structure and purpose and a cohesion that is just not there and that happened on yesterday within 90 seconds hmm. the game in hindsight you could probably say the game was probably finished within 90 seconds because you knew that these these football players were in red and white the heads were going to be down and they were just going to think we can't and do yeah, this we, we, had can't a good, we were through on goal before they scored and Martinelli had a chance, yeah. We didn't take the shot on, which yeah. is unlike Martinelli, and he just did that. If we'd have scored then, it would have been a completely different story, potentially. Yes. Well, was there a catalyst then for this? So we look at, because we had the great, um, well, not a great unbeaten run, but a decent unbeaten run last season. It seemed to be going okay. Are we saying it was the Europa League final that was no, the happened, catalyst it for happened, what? It happened a before long that. time before that. There were odd, we were just doing, recording our highs, you know, in the other studio of the season. That was quick. Yeah, we were fleshing it out for nine minutes out of ten. Um, <laughs> but no, we did, we did have some highs, uh, and they were odd games in Europa, and they were odd games you know like even in the poor run we, we beat Chelsea we beat Man United we, we thrashed Valencia these were cracking performances but they were just one-offs and every time it happened you think ah he's got the formula and then he would go and change it again and something mm. would happen and that's been one of the problems with Emery he just he just constantly changed structure and personnel like he, a tinker man as, he did tinker you know. quite a lot and yeah the some, sometimes we were just left a bit baffled like we were talking yeah. about the whole, the whole El Nenny and Genduzzi in the middle of the park yeah. against was it, it was away to Everton and Palace and, at home, Palace. Yeah. and you just think Those of that Palace game you're thinking what it's just bizarre you're just thinking what I don't, it, it didn't make sense um, if anything you'd have to say that the there was the, the position that we were in towards the end of last season it was we were probably more likely to get Champions League domestically because of the games that we had we could have sewn that up with two or three games and two or three professional performances and we mm. just didn't get that and that was where the warning signs were we are going to talk about substitutions a bit later on in the show one particular strolling substitution we'll get onto a bit later but something else that agged me during the game and a bit has been made about it already when Kolasinac came off and Saka had to come on. Why was he not ready? Why was he not ready to come on? It took him forever. And with you down to 10 men, you went and conceded. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um, I didn't even realise that. Yeah. Something. He was yeah, on the touchline for ages, taking off sums, his clothes. That just sums up, I guess, it's a lack of any kind of organisation that's happening at the moment. I mean, you can't exactly blame Saka. He's like, what, 17, 18-year-old kid. Yeah, but Per but, was talking to him for quite a long time, giving him instructions. So, as, so as he removed, like, layer after so, layer of clothing. So from... So cold. It was cold. Just. <laughs> <laughs> so from from the point at which the injury gets so normally what you see is a player get straight up and start running down the touchline and particularly where my seats are it's on that side of the ground you often see the players straight away right up in front of you so it just points to, it's just another th another thing pointing towards the lack of organization at the club it's like lack of human it's just we, we seem to just be beaten by 
things that are going wrong again and first again choice, and again. Two first choice left backs out now and our first choice right back. Yeah. And he just got them back. Yeah. And we've and unfortunately we've got all of our first choice centre centre backs playing. And there's another crazy decision, right? There's a crazy decision. Nacho Monreal, probably Arsenal's most consistent player for four years, gets sold a day before a couple of days before the end of the transfer window with no build up, just no explanation, no goodbye to the fans. Crazy decision because he can play left centre back, left back, left wing back. He's not a world beater anymore at the age he is now, but he's still doing well in Spain. And you know. Crazy decision. Yeah, thoroughly enjoying life back in La Liga. It is time, gents, for an upturn in fortunes. And the man to deliver that might be Mikel Arteta. According, we are led to believe, to the Daily Mail, he is to meet Josh Kroenke tonight for a third and final interview for the manager's job. We'll be talking all about that. <laughs> Who's on interviewing this. who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the Arsenal fan show on Love Sport. Love Sport. It's the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, here with the guys from Gunnerstown, Dave Seeger and Chris Howard. We have had a tweet in, by the way, which we will get onto later in the show. Uh, just to let you know, we will be bringing up Meza Ozil. And I, for Danny one. Danny Woodland Pine, if you're listening. Thank you, Danny Woodland Pine. I, for one, will not be going easy on him. I don't know about the guys with me in here, but I definitely will not be going easy on him. We are going to move forward now, though, to Mikel Arteta. Gents, obviously between with the club between 2011 and 2016, spent a good amount of time with Arsenal, is in talks with Josh Cronkey. We're led to believe tonight. David Sniggering. No, no, no. I was just, I was just thinking about the joke about who's going to, who's interviewing who, whether Arteta is going to be need to be convinced or it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, no, it good. feels like the other way around right now. Well, it's it? good. It's also good that Josh Cronkey's over here doing it. Mm. I mean, you know, we've got to wait while we fly him into the country. I mean, at least he's here. He's here most of the time. He is. Seemingly, a get you know, hopefully a bit more hands on, yeah, you know, but uh, now good. For, I mean, have we, have we got um, uh, is Simon Collins joining us in this section? He uh, it, he's going to join us, oh, yes, because right, he, I'm sure he's probably closer to it than uh, than uh, than we are being a journo, but no, I think I'm you know, as I said, I think the thing is is defining the role for Arteta because I don't think, as I said in the preview bit, I don't think many people in football are going to argue that that Arteta is a good coach. Because if Pep says he's a good coach, and Sane and and, can't be too and, bad. and Sterling all say this guy is the reason we're playing at the level we are, then we know he's a good coach. The question is, are we looking for a coach or are we looking for a manager? And if we're looking for a coach and there's a defined role above him, whether it's Edu and there's a reporting structure, and we've got that, that's fine. If he's just going to be coaching the first team, I don't have a problem that he's not an experienced manager. But I do worry slightly about whether that structure's there and whether I define reporting lines. I worry also about, yeah, let's put let's park the whole Arteta discussion. I think there's a wider issue at Arsenal. We've talked about the players not being acceptable um, and that some of their performances not being acceptable. You have to then look, therefore, look at the recruitment strategy over the last two years, which hasn't really been acceptable. And that, well, by the looks of it, certainly since Wenger left, has been a committee decision. And so now we're at the point where you start to question, well, even if we did bring Arteta in, even if he is a fantastic coach and even if he can motivate people, what happens if he's not being given the right tools to actually deliver? Is he, is he doomed, is, would he be doomed to failure Well, or mediocrity because the people above him just aren't very good at running the football club? Well, to be fair, we're getting a bit down on the players now. But if you'd asked us in August whether we had a squad worthy of challenging, we all would have said yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's true. I mean, the the other the, the worrying thing that I've got as well is we've got um Jungberg in there at the moment. 
Jungberg is respected by the Arsenal hierarchy. Arteta's respected by the uh, Man City. Jungberg's never managed before. Arteta's never managed before. Um, Jungberg's an Arsenal legend. Arteta's an Arsenal, not legend, but he's been a very, very good player. You know, he's not going to have any money to spend. Jungberg hasn't had any money to spend. Relatively cheap. I'm sure Arteta's relatively cheap. There's a lot of parallels here that, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate slightly. Something to think about. You are mm. the parallel man. I like that, mate. You could go on all night, yeah? Something okay. else that's not I've acceptable. I've got a long list. <laughs> I've got uh, a long list. Well, to talk to us more about that now, we have Simon Collins, sports reporter for the Evening Standard. How are you doing, Simon? I'm good, thanks, guys. How are we doing? Yeah, very well, thank thanks, you. Simon. Thanks for coming on this evening, mate. Just, uh, yeah, enlighten us. This news of Mikel Arteta. What can we expect? Yeah, well, I think this is... Um, we all heard Freddie Lundberg in his press conference after the game against Manchester City saying, you know, Arsenal need to clarify their situation for himself and for the club as a whole. And it's pretty telling that the morning after these images has appeared of, of Vinay and Hasfami both being pictured outside Mikel Arteta's house after holding talks with him. Um, I think it's telling that it was those two members of the Arsenal hierarchy doing the talks. We, of course, know it. it's a four-man panel who've been tasked this. Um, Raul Sanyeli and Edu are part of it but Huss and, and Vinay are a key part of it as well and, and these guys are very much you know financial based men Look, Huss Farm is a contract expert who was, did fantastic work with Team Sky and Vinay's business background is well known as well so I think it's telling that those were the two people meeting Arteta it tells us it's a bit more than you know initial talks and talks have taken place before and I think now it's a question of we see this week how quickly this accelerates and if Arteta can take his authority as the front runner, which he is now, but we saw in 2018 he was the front runner and things move quickly, but it's all pointing towards, you know, Arteta as being in the driving seat to, to take over. Yeah, Simon, I think one of the things that's obviously come out since uh, Arteta was unsuccessful and Emery was appointed was that he didn't have a uh, he didn't have a structure, he didn't have a team to bring with him and obviously Arsenal were in a situation where they needed to move quickly and have you know a complete new coaching staff brought in uh, after everyone was dismissed post-Wenger and Arteta obviously wasn't in that position to move quickly so he was overlooked. Uh, are you hearing, because I am, that in the talks, I mean I've heard certainly links to, I've heard his, he might bring in as many as five or six uh, members of staff with him and he's already got those in mind and certainly I've heard Xabi Alonso as a long term friend who've obviously just he's just become a B team manager at Real Sociedad he's been working at Real Sociedad for the last couple of years you know would be coming with Arteta have you heard anything on that? Well it's, a, it's an interesting one I think the process with Arteta will be you know getting that backroom staff in place because we've seen with Lundberg you know the issue of not having that and certainly Xavi Alonso I can't say I've heard what you have but it would make a lot of sense I mean him and Mikel Arteta you know were very very good friends um, when they lived in Liverpool you know, they would often go out for dinner together, um, try and do it somewhere secretive by the fact they were playing for rival clubs and didn't people <laughs> spot them. But they would go out for dinner as much as they could. They were very close friends, both from the same town. Um, well, they were both you know, at Barcelona per- together as kids, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. And another guy he formed a strong relationship with Barcelona was Pepe Reina. You know, very good friends with him. Um, you know, they were bunkmates and Pepe Reina was actually Arteta's best man at his wedding. So that's someone else, again, who he's oh, got a very close bond with. Um, and where's Rainer, so it, where's Rainer at the moment, Simon? Is he still at Napoli? Well, Rainer retired uh, sort of back end of 2018-19, so I don't know if he's planning to go into coaching, but that would be an interesting one. In terms it would indeed. Of, you know, he's got a very close bond with him. Uh, and Tim Cahill is another person who um, you know, Arteta talks about when he first came to Everton, and in those years, Cahill was someone, again, who he really you know, had a close bond with. He used to go on holidays together. 
family's very close. So that, again, would be an interesting one. But I think, as you stressed there, there really is a need for Arteta to have a strong backroom team in place and the team that he wants, because that is going to be key for Arsenal to get a structure which flows and works. And Arteta needs to have a big say in that. Hi, Simon. Just just Chris here. Um, Do you think there's anything that would potentially stop or put off Arteta from actually taking this job or is this just too good to turn down and it's just a matter of when rather than if? Well, I mean, the thing for me is I mean, it's been talked a lot, certainly by people who cover Manchester City, that Arteta is viewed as a viable successor to, to Pep Guardiola. And I think anyone looking at those two jobs, if, if you've got a chance at the Man City job or the Arsenal job, you're surely going to take the Manchester City job. I mean, looking at it from a raw, take the emotion out of it. We know Arteta's emotion with Arsenal. You know, everyone saw those scenes when he left, the, the tears he was in, how close he feels about the club. But from a purely, you know, you know, objective opinion, Manchester City looks like the better job. So it does beg the question whether Arteta has an indication that, look, Pep's sticking around for a while and he's close to Guardiola, that he's not going to get that job and he should look to move to Arsenal. Or whether he thinks, in the same way Pep's, you know, moulded a club in his own image, he can go to Arsenal there now, and let's face it, the club needs direction, it needs someone to guide it. He can go there and really put his own stamp on it. Yeah, I think the other thing that's quite interesting is we've, we've all we've all read uh, or heard anecdotally how good a coach Arteta is, and certainly some of those uh, that's come from Pep himself. It's come from the likes of Sane and De Bruyne and Sterling. So you know they have great credentials, and if if we are looking for just a coach, then. That's fantastic. But I heard, I heard also from someone who's quite close to Paul Davis that Paul Davis mentored him through his coaching badges at the PFA, you know, when he was still at Arsenal as a player, but obviously injured and started his coaching badges. Paul Davis, obviously, he's been at the PFA for, well, by that time, about sort of 13 years, and he's recognised as one of the top sort of, you know, teachers of coaches. And apparently he said that Arteta's one of the best pupils he's ever worked with, and it was obvious from the first moment that he was going to be a top, top coach. So maybe Arsenal fans shouldn't be so worried uh, if it is just a coaching role and we've got a director of football and, 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 and a management team to do the rest. That's that's the concern for me rather than the coach. Yeah, I think everyone, I think a lot of people have, have talked about him as a coach. It's also interesting, you know, you speak to someone like Hector Bellerin who was there when Arteta was at the club. Even then, he would talk about how in training Arteta would be, you know, sort of coaching him, giving him advice about playing fullback, even though he's a midfielder, and his knowledge of the game was someone that said everyone knew, you know, was exceptional. And Pochettino is another person, you know, never mind Pochettino's link to Spurs. He has always said how impressed he's been with Arteta. He was with him at PSG when, you know, Arteta took that leap to meet Barcelona as a young man. And even then, Pochettino said, you know, this guy came into the dressing room and he spoke like a senior player at such a young age. So I think oh, people have often always thought Arteta would go down this route. And I, and I agree with you. I think there's no question marks about him as a coach, maybe as a manager, but if you get the structure right, then the coach is, is the most important thing. Yeah, I think that's the key. I think that's what fans need to be convinced because they're still thinking we need an old campaigner, an Ancelotti or, a, you know, an Allegri to come in and fix these problems. And I think a lot of fans would have sympathy with that view. So it, the question then is, if it is just about coaching and the quality of him as a coach, that's fine. But we need to we need to know as fans whose responsibility is the other stuff. And if it's Edu, tell us. Let's clearly define his role. Because I think, you know, he's a popular appointment. We all love him. He was an invincible. We liked him as a player. But do we actually know what he's doing day to day? And is he defining that the sort of, if you like, the wider structure and the style of football and the future direction of the club so Arteta can just coach? I think we need to be told that as fans. 
Yeah, and I think this this if Arteta does become the appointment, I really do think this will be a prime opportunity for you know we haven't actually heard from Edu yet, no, you know, exactly. the fans or the media, and and you would think if Arteta gets the job, that would be a prime opportunity for Edu to you know speak with the media to get his message across to the fans and to define the structure because this will be a point now you know it'll, it'll be full cut from Ivan Gazidis and when he was at the club and Sven Mislintat, this will now be Josh Kroenke, you know. Vinay Raul, Edu, having their man in place in Arteta, it won't have any links to Gazidis because he is in the past regime. It'll be their man and they can lay out the structure of what it's going to be going forward. And I think whoever comes in as an ex-appointment, which looks like Arteta, that needs to be the moment where it goes, look, this is the structure, this is how the process works and this will be how it's going to be going forward. No, I agree. Simon, great having you on. Just to finish, there is a, a final meeting we're led to believe this evening. How quickly do you think this might potentially go through? Could we be at a point where tomorrow morning Arsenal have a new manager? Coach. Yeah, well, there's, the, the, yeah, there's some sort of debate over this um, final meeting. It's it's definitely you know, the talk of a final meeting taking place. Some people saying tonight, um, others sort of saying later in the week. I, I would think, you know, the way that Arsenal have been moving and the direction of travel... It's, it's not out of this world to think they could have a new head coach in place for Everton at the weekend. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but we know how quickly these things can move. I mean, you look at Tottenham down the road and Jose Mourinho was gone in the evening in the morning. Oh, sorry, Pochettino was gone in the evening. Mourinho was there walking through the door the next morning. So uh, I think for Arsenal fans, it'll be a week where they'll be, I'm sure, refreshing their Twitter, refreshing the club website <laughs> for waiting for that news to drop. Interesting first fixture for Arteta if it was over Everton. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's quite an interesting game. And certainly when he was being linked with the Everton job as well, which perhaps explain Arsenal's you know eagerness to get things moving. But um, I'm sure he'd get a warm welcome back there. But he'll know <laughs> that's not going to be an easy game to settle in, especially if Duncan Ferguson's managing the other team. Indeed. Simon, thanks for coming on this evening. Cheers, thanks, Simon. Guys. That was Simon Collins, sports reporter for the Evening Standard, just discussing the likelihood of Mikel Arteta becoming Arsenal's new coach. Dave Seeger. Right well, no, I do think I don't know. I was joking half, but I do think it's an important distinction if that's mm. because I think that would settle people down. And, and Simon's right; we need to know what the structure is going to be above him if he is in. Absolutely, we'll be reflecting on that chat on this the Arsenal Fan Show in a minute. Love sport. It's the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, with the boys from Gunnerstown, Dave Seeger and Chris Howard. Now, we just spoke to Simon Collins there regarding sports reporter for the Evening Standard, regarding the appointment, potential appointment of Mikel Arteta. It is worth noting as well, a few names were mentioned about coaching roles within that chat. Pepe Reina being one of them. He is still currently at AC Milan. He's only played once this season, I believe, but still with Milan, so not yet looking for a coaching role. And to be fair, maybe slightly controversial with the last time he was with Freddie Jungberg on stage, wrapped yeah. a Barcelona top over him, the didn't he? Sesk game. Yeah. yeah. Mm. How, how, that was, how is that there? Did I say Freddie Jungberg then? Yeah, I mean Sesk. Yeah, I meant Fabregas, yeah. 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 What, what's, the, what, what's the reaction towards Pe- uh, Pepe Reina? I have no real feeling either way, to be honest no. with you. It was just a bit stupid at the time. But Do you know what's interesting about the Arteta thing? Just to go back to that. So I keep swinging between, oh, this really? could be a good appointment. and <laughs> Does Nicola know? <laughs> you are terrible with your jokes, you know that. I'm calling you out on it now on national radio, mate. You need to stop this or at least get some lessons from somebody. You've got a few comedian mates. I was mates. quite proud Come of that on. one. Help yourself out. Ask Ian Stone to give you some tips or something because you're terrible. Right, anyway, as I was saying, um, I keep 
maneuvering between um, between sort of whether I, I like this appointment or the idea of this appointment or not. Because I said on the show a couple of weeks ago, I like the idea of you know a Nagelsmann or you know there was other other young German man. You've got plenty of clubs that seem to be investing in well, let's get a young coach in that's got the right philosophies. And I'm effectively advocating going down that route. So maybe this is just what we need. It's just. I don't know, with what's happened with Freddie, and I know there's mitigating circumstances around the fact that it's just him, Pear, and there's a there's actually an image going on on Twitter, which is a Getty Saw images that. of um, Mikel Arteta at the Emirates yesterday, and behind him, on the pitch, obviously clearly mucking in, is Arsenal's club doctor, who they don't normally go anywhere near the pitch, so clearly they're literally like all hands to the pump. Yeah. Have we got anyone that can look busy and wear an Arsenal tracksuit mm-hmm. and get on the pitch, please? Um so that, I don't know. Maybe maybe this could be a good thing for us because maybe we do just need, you know, a something fresh, something that is completely unproven. It just feels like a massive gamble. Well, does the fact that thinking about what you just said, does the fact that there was a lot of rumours, which obviously had to come from somewhere, that Lundberg would bring in Pires, who we know is at Colney every day, and Gilberto, who we know lives in London, and he hasn't. Does that mean? Does that tell us that the club actually blocked that? So there was never any chance of Lundberg being appointed because if they were keen to back him, as he has said, they would have let him had someone to help him mm. do the role. And mm. Even just to put the cones out for crying out loud, he's got no one. So, yeah, I mean, that, that maybe and that would, I mean, that, aside from anything else, would have brought a boost, right, to the fans, to the club, well, to I everything. Thought, I thought I was really looking forward to the Brighton game because there were good signs against Norwich. Okay, it wasn't the right result, but we, there were some good encouraging signs and the away fans were certainly singing the old Freddie song. So I was looking forward to the first home game with Freddie and I thought there'd be a massive buzz around the stadium. There just wasn't. No. I was really surprised. Four, wasn't it? I was really surprised that the fans weren't behind Freddie. So he certainly would be as popular as Gilberto or Perez. So, you know, maybe three of them would have got a bigger. I don't know. But yeah, I was surprised at the lack of impetus it gained. I think people are just just worn out with just how poor poor Arsenal have been on the pitch poor they've been in their decision making you know people are getting they're just weary of we've you know we've gone from the boredom and you know people slowly turning away from Wenger which wasn't that long ago and now we've got the same process again we want it to be reinvigorated and we just haven't seen it and I think it's going to take a while for that to come back I even think if we appointed Mikel Arteta in the next couple of days I don't think, well, I mean, we're away for our next two games, but I even think if we had a home game at the weekend, it still wouldn't be, you know, absolutely chock-a-block full. I am not entirely convinced about it, I've got to say. Firstly, he's a great bloke, a lovely bloke. Interviewed him a couple of times, and he was brilliant. Such a, a man's man, a really, really nice, warm, gentle fella. Absolutely incredible. That, I mean, it's astroturf. Now he's not coming on for it. No, nothing's getting rid of that hair. It is there forever to stay. But... I just fear that this is a monumental first job for Arteta. There was also another layer in this as well, and that I think that this suggests Pep Guardiola won't be at Man City next season because he's willing to let Arteta move on to Arsenal. No, because no, he said he wouldn't stand in Arteta's way two years ago. Hmm. So I think they're just good friends, and if Arteta wants to be a manager and thinks he's ready, Pep wouldn't stand in his way. I think he said that in 2018, okay, to be fair. But but no, I you know the other comment, yes, it is a monumental task, but it's a monumental task, whoever comes in. And I just don't know that a tired old Ancelotti would have any more chance, other than a longevity and respect in the game. But there are some tired old guys who've been around a long time who lose ideas. I think we had one as our manager until 2018. It doesn't mean... You were great, doesn't mean you're great now. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just what what it also worries me is is this just Arsenal trying to play the cheap card? Um, because Arteta's not going to cost a fortune, is he? Let's be honest, compared to... And if you've got a manager, if you've got a club with a stature of Arsenal in the position that they're in, and imagine if you were able to say to any manager, right, you can come in now, in January, you know, we'll, we'll chuck 100 million quid your way if you want. You know, if that was happening, do you not think there'd be more there'd be more people that would be more interested in it? And I just think that Arsenal are just taking... This is, the, this is just symptomatic of the cronky um, regime. It is... Let's just do the bare minimum of what we can to get back. Again, a, I'm playing yeah, hypothetical yeah. Yes, here. Yeah. I, saw, I saw our uh, our colleague, um, Giles, obviously tweeting this morning uh, uh, before you know the, this extra news had come out about another meeting. But he was saying, if it's Arteta, whoever it is, if it's a young progressive coach, which is, I think, clearly what it's going to be, they, the hierarchy should be selling it as a project. In the same way that Man City was sold as a project two players by Mark Hughes in the early you know, tenure of, of the current regime. It is a project. You know, We definitely have the fan base. We definitely have the global income. Someone has to believe that there's a project here. And I don't think anybody believes now at this stage that, that the person who comes in has to will be told you have to get top four this season. I really just don't think anyone would come in on that basis. I think they have to be sold a project, as Giles was saying earlier. Do you know what I'd, I'd say as well? With the whole situation, if Arteta is the choice, why the hell have we waited three weeks to make this decision? Mm. This could have been done two weeks ago, couldn't it? I mean, I'm just looking at, um, at, on on the uh, on the newsreader up here, and it said Carlo Ancelotti has agreed a deal in principle to become Everton manager. I'm, I'm not really that fussed if Carlo Ancelotti well, maybe, is at Everton maybe or whatever Arteta it is. wanted to wait until but, it was impossible for City to win the league, and in the last two weeks, that's probably happened. <laughs> maybe, but it feels to <laughs> it just feels to me like. Again, it's it's symptomatic of, of the way the club is being run. We've either got him as our first choice or we've gone after a load of other managers who have just said, no thanks, well, maybe I'm not just, joining Maybe it was shower. just Brendan Rodgers that we went after and that was a, no, I'm going to sign a new contract and then we moved on to Arteta. We don't know. So what would it have taken? Because I don't get the feeling, talking to either of you two, that you're particularly buzzing about it, about Mikel Arteta coming in. And like you said, Dave, the impetus after Jungberg wasn't really, you're nodding your head, you're saying you are buzzing about Mikel Arteta. I'm, I'm buzzing more as the more I talk about it. I just, I don't know. Like, what would it take to get the atmosphere back at the Emirates, to get the good feeling? I know you're going to say if he starts winning games, but that immediate impact of a new manager, if you could pick anybody, who would you have? So I said this on the show last week for me. Nagelsham, didn't uh, that would be my preferred choice. But actually, even before that, and what will bring, what, what will get me buzzing, and also Arsenal fans buzzing, is if we can actually see some kind of a, a structure. Like, what are we? What are we? Who are we? What type of football team are we? Do you know we can play the next? If, if Arteta came in tomorrow, and we play the next four games, and we played in a certain way, and we can start to see, okay, this is what he's going to try and do. Then you know, some of us can legislate for that in our minds. I can almost be like, okay, right, he's trying to do this it could work this player doesn't suit that type of system but you know he's got to get his own players in fine I can understand this season's a write-off you know we're going to finish mid-table maybe we'll get into you know the Europa League at best um, we might as well just get someone in who can who can develop a style and look towards next season that's what I want to see that's what's going to get me buzzing yeah I totally agree but then we've been saying that under Emery as well I mean it's not an Arteta thing it's a whoever Let's just let's understand what we're trying to achieve here and and how we're going to try and achieve it. Okay, well, we don't want this because this does go out as a podcast after we record it. We don't want it to be too outdated. Say he gets appointed tomorrow morning. (laughs) If Mikel Arteta does get appointed 
tomorrow morning. What, is, what does he do day one on the training ground? What does he go in and do? What does he go in and change? What does he go in and say to the players? Does he pull out any specific individuals? What's his main objective when he first arrives on that training ground? Well, that, that assumes that we know the current training methods, which I personally don't. So the first thing he's got to, he, he will need to know from those he trusts in the club and Per Mertesacker would be, he was his vice captain. They are presumably good friends. He will be on the phone to someone who's at the club and saying, right, what's happening? What are we doing on the training ground? Where do you think it's going wrong? I'm sure he'll be doing that. So he, he's going to know what he wants to do. And the, certainly the City players say, you know, which is another reason why I didn't want Angelotti, by the way, because the Bayern Munich players and the Napoli players said his coaching is so boring we don't even want to go. Um, whereas the Man City players say every day we're buzzing because every day is different. The coaching's exciting. There's new methods being brought in by Ateta. So that's the first thing he's going to have to do. He's going to get the group around and say, look, this is how we're going to do things. But that, that, that alongside, and this is how I want to play, and this is the formation I'm going to play because that's what Chris and I have been saying for a, yeah. a year now. We just want to know that it's all... There's no problem having a plan B, but we know to, we know we want to know what the go-to plan A is, and we don't even know that at the moment. Do you know what I'd be saying to him? I'd be saying, Lucas Torreira, Mateo Ganduzi, Granit Xhaka. I was a pretty good central midfielder. You see that space in the middle of the park that you <laughs> never ever occupy. You're going to start occupying it now because we haven't had a midfield since last season. That's the first thing I'd be saying. The second thing I'd be saying is David Luiz, please, for the love of God watch some sort of defensive videos because it's not working for you and I don't know what's happened to you Socrates but um, if you do any more of an impression of a Greek statue then you're not going to get anywhere near the first team either just He's be gonna, a Greek uh, god instead yeah. <laughs> we, m- m- and someone needs to do something about Mesut Ozil yeah I wrote, actually I wrote uh, you'll remember this because I was uh, it was I was laughed at at the time at the end of 2013 I think it was I wrote a blog saying I think we should convert Mikel Arteta to a defensive midfield player and this is the time when Song was in that position at Arsenal when he was quite popular but he was just no discipline running up the pitch playing you know Hollywood Hollywood passes a lot of which came off to be fair to him I said I think Arteta he's not as quick as he used to be I think he's got the brains to be that position and lo and behold he did it for the next two seasons and we won our first trophy with him playing that position he was fantastic so I think that's what made me think about it because Chris is right somebody needs to say this is the role this is the job and I'm I'm getting less and less convinced week in week out that it is Torreira you know I think I was I I was feeling sorry for a Torreira that he's been played out of position by Emery um, I'm just not convinced he is what we need as a defensive midfield player. I'm certainly not convinced Guendouzi is, and I know Shaka isn't. So I think it's actually probably I would play. I would play David Luiz. David Luiz, ding 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 ding, cling cling cling. The first the day, Dave Seeger, David well, Luiz at centre midfield. Until role. we can sign someone, I'm just saying. In the short term, we need someone who's going to sit in front of the back four, and those other three players are not mobile enough, and they're not bright enough, quite frankly. Yeah. Very good points. Well made, gents. And like you said there, Chris, what will he do with Mesut Ozil? We'll be talking about the controversial German next on this, the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport. Love Sport. It's the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Peter, with the guys from Gunnerstown, Chris Howard and Dave Seeger. It's time now, gents, to talk about the man, the myth, the... Ex-legend. I don't really know what else to call him, to be fair. Mesut Ozil. The enemy of China? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one way to describe him. Um, right. Granite Xhaka got lambasted a few weeks back, gents, for strolling off the pitch. Widespread boos throughout the stadium. We know what happened there. Yesterday, we saw it with Mesut Ozil. I could not believe what I was seeing. What are your thoughts? Well, crikey. It, 
there have been other players in between as well. I mean, Lacazette certainly did it a few weeks ago because on Twitter there's a lot of, well, what, what, you know, why isn't Lacazette getting you know lambasted like Shaka did? It's it's only the players that the fans don't like that are getting lambasted. So you know, is it a case of? the fans are fed up with Shaka and they're fed up with Ozil so they're getting the treatment whereas Lacazette they're not fed up with and he didn't get the treatment that's the that's the question really but certainly the difference with Shaka when he did it is we were still in that game I was just going to say we weren't in this game <laughs> at any point beyond minute one uh, mm. on Sunday so but not the bats no excuse um, and the show of petulance when he came off the pitch doesn't look great when you've got a lot of young players on that team well, and on the bench who, who probably look up to him. Smith Rowe was, was the guy replacing him. I mean, it's, t- it's a terrible example to set. I know. It is. Um, I think I think too much was a bit made of the whole Granit Xhaka thing, to be honest with you, at the time. Um, he was an idiot. I think he, he, he should have actually have came on you know, publicly and said... I reacted in the heat at the moment. I've got these are my situations. I'm sorry. You know, I should have done it. It won't happen again, and we all move on. He hasn't done that. That's granite. You know, that's on granite. Jacker, Meza Özil. He wasn't exactly you know, effing and blinding to the crowd, was he? No. Um, it wasn't aimed at the crowd. It looked to me like it was just a a, a boot out because he was just cheesed off. Whether it's cheesed off with a manager who for bringing him off, I don't know. But it felt like it was a slightly different circumstance and I think the focus has moved onto that more than the actual performance and I think we need to focus back onto the performance because once again, this is the sort of game where you need your star players to be stepping up and dictating games and we were just talking in the break. The Meza Ozil of two years ago would drift into spaces. He would play incisive balls in behind. Um, Is that not happening now because he's not the same player? Is it because the team is so terrible at the moment? Is it because the players aren't making the runs? I genuinely don't know the answer. But what I do know is that we're not getting... He's one of a number of players that we're not getting full value from. It is insane to have a player of the finishing ability of Aubameyang and the pace of Aubameyang and him be not to be making runs that Ozil can find him. So I think there's, there is, there's definitely a case that Ozil is definitely turning back. He's playing the simple pass where he used to try and play the incisive pass. But how much of that is confidence or he's just lost that ability and how, or, or how much is whether we've got the right players in front of him making the runs or we've got the right formation. But to be fair, Freddie has gone back to 4-2-3-1 for Meza Ozil. You know, we, Emery was playing 4-3-3. You know, we weren't playing a 10. Ozil was in and out the side. He was barely playing at all the early part of the season. So Lundberg's given him a chance. He's given him a chance to play his the only position he's willing to play, really. You know, when he was out wide, he, he, his attitude stinks. He's back exactly where he wants to be, and he isn't delivering. And I have to say, there was a moment in that first half as well, which led to the Kevin De Bruyne curler that was brilliantly saved from Bert Neno. That started with a pitiful Mesut Ozil attempt at a through ball. He just he kind of thrust a, a leg at it lazily. It got cut out and then didn't react to it. You could see him sort of shrugged his shoulders a bit. I mean, that That's great was just on radio, horrendous. Do that impression again. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone listening, I'm shrugging my shoulders. But yeah, it's just, and that was an example for me. And, and yeah. everybody would have noticed that. That's where you look and think, nah, he has gone. His head has gone. Yeah. Mm. And it is a worry when you've got the young players who obviously must have grown up watching him. And the problem that we've got is that even if, you know, new manager X, if it's Arteta or whoever that comes in, what are actually going to do do with him? This is a really fascinating insight because right now it just looks like nobody can, nobody can get the best out of him, or certainly those that have tried and failed so far. And admittedly, that's Emery and Jungberg, so it's not a big pool. Um, but 
we've we've got a situation where it's not like in January you'll have lots of clubs clamouring for him, and that's not going to happen in the summer either. Even Arsenal Arsenal could probably go in the summer and say, anyone want to take this thirty one, thirty two year old? I can't remember how old he is for free, but no one will do it because. Yeah, well, not a three hundred, not no. a three hundred fifty grand a week. Though, no, well, I think he's going to have to. Surely, he's going to have to accept by then that. Well, not if he's got another year after after this season. He can just sit on. I it don't for think. I don't year. think. To be fair to Mozu, I don't think that's about the money. I think his family are settled in London, yeah. maybe, and and his kids are at school in London, mate. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. He's no, always I said, "I don't want to leave London." I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's about the money, but um, because he's settled, yeah, because he's settled in. I just don't think we're going to be able to move him on from a yeah. from a footballing perspective. Arsenal can't move him on. Yeah, but I don't so therefore, yeah. the new manager, whoever he is, the new coach, um, yeah. is going to have to get some sort of tune out of him because it's an expensive resource just to sit on the side. Yeah, because he's never going to be the sort of guy I don't think is going to come on and change a game with 20 minutes to go. I think he has to be part of the pace of the game, with the pace of the game, you know, setting a tempo in a game, and I don't think he's ever going to be a super sub. But I also... I just... You would have thought, because he's been so un- out... underused and out of favour under the previous manager that with a new coach coming in giving him the chance to play where he wants to play he would have a point to prove however poor he's been that isn't just a form thing his attitude given the opportunity doesn't you can see it I know his fans will say oh you can't see his body language is naturally languid you can still see, as Matt says, as a non-Arsenal fan watching, you'll chase down a loose ball, you'll try and block a pass, you know, you will try and intercept. He doesn't do those things. You know, when he was at his best, he did have that work rate and he did do those things. And so it's not just the talent, it's the work rate as well, I think. Mm. Okay, gents. Well, next week it is Everton at Goodison Park. They are two games unbeaten under Duncan Ferguson. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti apparently has agreed a deal in principle to become the new... Boss, your hopes for this festive period because it's Everton, it's away at Bournemouth, potentially riding high after that victory over Chelsea. They could be back on upward curve under Eddie Howe. And then, of course, two big ones, Chelsea at home and United at home. Mm. Mm. How many points would you take from that, Chris? How many would I take? <laughs> right now. Um, I'd take a draw against Everton. I'd take a draw against Bournemouth. And then I'd love just one win out of those two. So I would be absolutely over the moon with five points out of a possible 12. Wow. That's depressing, isn't it? That is depressing. But, I mean, how many do I think that we're going to get? I don't hold much hope against Everton because they seem to be hitting a bit of form. Bournemouth, don't really hold much because we're away from home. Um, Man United and Chelsea, maybe one or two. I think a couple of of points by the time we get to New Year's. The New Year's, yeah, which I guess it depends how quickly Ancelotti comes in because I think part of the the thing at Everton has been Ferguson's asked them to play in a certain style, mm-hmm. shall we say? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the game when they beat Chelsea, that was more tackles in that game by Everton players than I think the last six years of any mm-hmm. game in the Premier League. So it's completely di- you had Walcott and Iwobi playing wide midfield, you know, with a four four two. You know, I don't think Walcott's ever been asked to do it. well in the first couple of seasons at Arsenal, but he's not the sort of player. And he even he was flying, <laughs> flying into challenges. So Ferguson's got them doing something. Whether Ancelotti would just be able to come in and say, "Oh, carry on doing what you were doing," 
or whether it's down to Duncan Ferguson's you know, team talks and his, the way he is on the sideline that's helping those players, whether they'll be the same team. So I'm sort of hoping that Angelotti's in quicker <laughs> rather than in the stand letting Ferguson carry on at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, to be fair. And there was a clear directive as well. You could tell in the game yesterday at Old Trafford for Everton, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a different player under Duncan Ferguson. He was chasing everything down. And Jordan Pickford as well. They're not so much of a playing out from the back type of team, Everton, although Marco Silva did try to implement that. But Pickford was launching everything. I don't think he made one short pass throughout the entire 90 minutes. So, really? Yeah, yeah. Very okay. interesting from Ferguson. He's completely... Well, completely our defence is rock it. solid against that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gents, we are nearly at the end. Of course, we won't see you now until the new year. I know you've done your best bits for our Christmas cracker show that's coming up, but just a very quick... That's a cracker. 30-second summary of 2019. Uh, Valencia away was good Man United home was good um, that Burnley game was good Simon my, my, Pepe my felt hi- good my highlight was oh, i get personal here after my son's funeral the Chelsea game was my first game back most of my family were there most of Liam's friends were there the club were amazing and my team turned up that day that was my favourite performance apart from Valencia was the Chelsea 2-0 at home and yeah it was a fantastic day um, in horrible circumstances but that was our best performance in the league and Valencia definitely as Chris says was our best performance in the whole year lovely that is a lovely way to finish Dave and of course Olympiacos today in the Europa League boring well, gents. <laughs> <laughs> why is that boring well, we, play, we, play, we just played Olympiacos enough times in the Champions League well I, I'd be confident we can do something in there I don't think Olympiacos is very good no. Let's hope so. The good times soon returning. We do not want St. Totteringham's Day. Actually, we do want it this year, don't we? We want it again. We want it back. Of course we we do. Yes, we do want it back. Heavily want it back. Uh, It's the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport. We'll see you in the new year. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter.